Welcome to Distributing Solar. We speak with entrepreneurs and experts working in the off-grid solar industry around the world, bringing to life how distributed solar is changing lives in emerging markets. In this episode, we speak with Emily McAteer, CEO and co-founder at Odyssey Energy Solutions, and Eitan Hoogster, VP of Business Development. Odyssey is a web-based platform that is facilitating rapid deployment of microgrids in emerging markets. The data platform manages how mini-grid data is analyzed and communicated via software tools, data analytics, and marketplaces, enabling mini-grid project developers to connect with investors, suppliers, donors, and other market stakeholders. We speak about their work with the Rural Electrification Agency in Nigeria, their work with RBF results-based financing programs, and how the mini-grid financing landscape is changing. Our conversation highlights the importance of operational data and why aggregating and standardizing microgrid data is necessary to accelerate the deployment of mini-grid solutions in emerging markets. We hope you enjoy this episode. Eitan, Emily, thank you so much for joining us on Distributing Solar. It's a real pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Odyssey Energy is a really impactful piece within the energy access sector, and we're delighted to have you here because we've already had multiple guests speak about their experiences with Odyssey and how they've already been working with Odyssey Energy Solutions. According to the latest numbers on your website, you're already working in over 30 countries, have facilitated over $350 million into microgrids, and supporting over 500 product developers. It would be great if you could start by providing us with an introduction to Odyssey for our listeners who don't already know about Odyssey and the work that you do. To start at the beginning, tell us what is Odyssey and what is it that you do? Odyssey, we are a software platform with the mission to enable large-scale capital deployment into solar mini-grids and other types of clean distributed energy technologies in emerging markets. So really, our fundamental goal is to get lots of money moving into new types of energy assets to expand access to power. And the way that we do that is we've built a data-driven investment and asset management platform that makes it easy to both evaluate investments in the sector and then manage in a portfolio of investments once you've deployed capital. And then specifically, I'm speaking about the work that you've you've done already. How does a partnership typically work for you? Do you work directly with the mini-grid developers or do you work also with financiers? And maybe if you could speak a bit about the partnerships and interactions you have with the different entities. So we have, as you asked in your question, you know, we have all types of different users of, of our software. And you know, part of the theory of Odyssey from the beginning has been that it would make the whole sector move more efficiently if data could be easily shared between stakeholders. The idea being that if you're going to electrify hundreds of millions of people using distributed energy, that's a lot more data that needs to be evaluated, a lot more smaller projects creating a lot more information. And so what we want at Odyssey is to serve as a platform connecting different types of users. The core software might be the same for everybody, but they're different types of users. And so a mini-grid developer has the ability to use our tools to evaluate a project that might be in their pipeline. So we have technical and financial feasibility tools that are available. Similarly, an investor might be able to receive a proposal and view the technical and financial analysis that's been done on Odyssey. And then on top of those types of interactions, we also have what we've been focusing a lot on in the last couple of years is managing these large 
government and donor-backed financing programs. So essentially serving as a software platform where a government can collect proposals for publicly backed financing of mini grids and solar home systems. And so for them, they have the ability to collect standardized proposals um, and really run their programs much more efficiently, ultimately allowing them to deploy more capital into these programs and have these programs run much more efficiently. Where in the past, uh, there's been a lot of delays in program implementation. And so hopefully you know, what we're doing and what we're seeing in our, in our early projects is that the results are happening faster. And if I understand how the platform works, it seems as though it's a software platform that allows project developers to enter in key information about a project that they're either planning to do or have started working on, perhaps. So information about the capacity of a mini-grid, et cetera, and then to match that with financiers who are interested in investing in mini-grid projects, and then also then to open up that monitoring process as the mini-grids are installed, implemented, managing information. So maybe if you could speak about the different types of data that you're pulling in, what are the analytical components that are really core to Odyssey's platform? Yeah, so just a, a clarification. We do a little bit less of the, the matchmaking, as you described. And typically, the way that our platform is deployed is that we will partner with a financier or financial institution that's looking to deploy capital into the sector. And then we use that platform to standardize all of the data and interactions that that financial institution will have with all of the different stakeholders engaged in the process. So just to give you a couple of examples of what those institutions might look like, one of our biggest customers is the Rural Electrification Agency of Nigeria that's running now about a half a billion dollar program to finance solar home systems and mini grids in Nigeria. And so what our platform does is manages the entire life cycle of the investments that the REA is making. And so any private sector company that's looking to receive financing for their distributed energy assets from REA will go through a process in our platform where they apply for financing, they submit on a rolling basis, proof that they have connected customers, and then finally they receive their financial disbursements based based on the results that they've achieved in terms of electrifying customers. Another example that is the same technology, but kind of a different use case is a commercial investor like Crossboundary Energy Access. So DBIA is a commercial project finance fund for, for mini-grids. They're actually the first mini-grid asset fund in, in the market. And they use our platform to manage their entire portfolio. And so when they need to ask critical questions about, you know, are the operators that we've invested in meeting their operational agreements? How is our portfolio performing in terms of system performance and economic performance? We collect all of the data from their system that are in their portfolio and, and help them answer those questions. And so you asked about the, the type of data that we collect. Again, it really spans the life cycle of a project. Upfront, we'll standardize the process of the techno-economic data that needs to go into planning a mini-grid project. So that's information about where the project is located, what the capital expenditures of the project are expected to be, what the forecasted energy demand at the site will be. We run all of that through a standardized financial model. And so it becomes easy to aggregate many projects up using this, this sort of standardized data format into a portfolio that can then be more rapidly assessed by a financier who's looking to make an investment into many of these projects. Then once the project is up and operating, that's when we start collecting operational data. And we plug into a number of different data sources, all which feed us very high volumes of granular data directly from the systems. So we'll plug into the system inverter, we'll plug into the smart meter, we'll plug into other operational systems that the developer might be using, like a, a customer relationship management system. And we pull all that together into a standardized data model that then allows for analysis and analytics on the portfolio as a whole. 
Great. That's a super helpful clarification and overview of the details. And around that final piece, when you're speaking about the data sources that are being pulled into the platform, how does that process typically work? Are you connecting with the mini grid operators, their, I guess, software control systems? Do you have to install smart meters or is there a lot of customization that's required for companies to join your platform? Yeah, so on the data monitoring portion of our software, we've we've built our big data engine to be able to take in data from lots of different sources. And so the most direct way would be we integrate with smart meters and smart inverters to collect data on energy generation, energy consumption, and, and payments. But it can also look like pulling in data from other software platforms like payment platforms or CRMs. And then for areas where there aren't smart meters available, we also have the option for uploading uh, custom data, you know, via something like a CSV. So you might have an on-site data logger and export data from your site and you could upload it that way. The point being that what we want to make most possible for people is to gather and aggregate all the data surrounding these sites and make it easy to analyze um, and get their hard questions answered in one place. Yeah, and I think just to provide some more context, the main challenge that we're trying to solve with our platform is it's very hard to invest in a portfolio of mini grids, unlike, let's say, a typical energy project, like a a big IPP project, right? Because what you're doing, if you're putting, let's say, $100 million into mini grids versus a grid scale project, that $100 million is going into lots of small projects. And each of those small projects generates about the same level of data, if not more, than, you know, a single large energy project would. And so there's a whole new set of challenges that need to be solved in order to move lots of capital into this nascent market. And so from our perspective, we're really trying to solve that that data challenge. How do we make it possible for investors to get the questions answered and to, to get the information that they need to feel confident in their investments and deploy the type of capital that needs to go into the sector for it to really scale? Perfect. That's great. And I'd love to hear more about the standardization. As you were beginning to develop your product and scoping out the the product features and the platforms, what were the challenges that you were facing with regards to standardization of either financial information or operational information? As mentioned, we standardize data at different points in the life cycle of an investment. We have standardized diligence data, and then we standardize data once a project is operating. On the diligence side, it's less of a a data and technology problem and more of a mindset, a new way of thinking about how you diligence these assets. Traditionally, with energy investments, you would have a very customized manual process. You'd probably hire a diligence consultant who would build a custom model for that project and really kind of go through a rigorous and and project-specific process. And what we're trying to do with Odyssey is say, you know, you you can't afford to do that if you're trying to diligence 100 projects at once, right? And and you need to diligence 100 projects at once if you're trying to move a lot of capital into the sector quickly. And so what we've done is said, you know what, the, the unit economics of these projects are not fundamentally different. We think that we can basically standardize the process for assessing the the opportunity of a project uh, and and the way to to model out the unit economics of those projects. And and we can do that in a a format that can kind of cover lots of different types of projects across different geographies and different technologies. And so it's still an evolving process and it takes a lot of innovative thinking to do something differently than kind of the way that investment has happened in adjacent sectors over many years. But we really think it's critical to to be able to move money at scale. We feel that standardization is going to be essential to uh, enabling investment in the, in the sector at scale. I would also add that 
what I think is important to highlight is that what we're doing is standardizing the process of evaluating these sites and then ultimately monitoring them. But in the evaluation stage, we're not standardizing, we're not saying, you know, each mini grid is going to have this many customers with this many kilowatt hours. We're actually allowing for very specific and granular assumptions to be made about each and every site. But because we're powered by software tools, we can standardize the way that they're analyzed. And so ultimately, what you end up having is actually probably better analyses, because frequently what happens now is that you'll have, you might have a consultant who's saying, trying to evaluate the feasibility of 100 sites for a country. And what they do is they, they can't go build, you know, 100 different financial models for each one of these sites. And so they're going to make some best estimates and they're going to say, on average, you know, each site's going to look like this. But actually, if you have good software and what we're providing, then you can have a hundred different sets of assumptions that actually match each site because we've taken survey data, let's say, from each and every site. But because we're analyzing them through software, we can, in a more efficient way, get to results that are standardized and easy to evaluate. But B, they're more specific to each and every site. I think that's part of the benefits as well. I'll be curious to understand how much of it is facilitating that analytical process and how much of it is leveraging historical data and historical information that has been collected in the past that helps you better produce a model that's able to predict future financial cash flows or financial information from this site. Is it purely a question of fine tuning and adding additional resolution to the models that you can create? Or is it also about leveraging, as you say, the big data that you have access to and the historical information that's available. So first, I want to point out, it's important to point out that we don't own the data that developers or governments or financiers put into our software. And so we can't necessarily be using that data in ways, uh, you know, we can't be like publishing benchmarks or anything without consent from our users. So that's, so that's first. But I do think what you're hitting on is correct, that what we're trying to do by putting all of the data from the life cycle in one place is allow people to learn over time and get better in how we evaluate these sites. And so if you have your feasibility study, if you have your financial projections in the same essential database as your actual results, then you can learn as, as you go and you can you know, you can fine tune your assumptions because ultimately we don't really know the answers to what will energy growth look like in year three or four or five or 10 when a mini grid arrives in a community. People have guesses, but we don't really have hard answers powered by data. And so that's what we're trying to provide to people to ultimately make better decisions and deploy capital more efficiently. One of the reasons why we originally built the Odyssey platform was my co-founder and I were mini grid project developers ourselves, and we were spending a lot of time talking to investors, trying to get them to invest in a, a large portfolio of mini grids in India and Tanzania. And the response that we kept getting from investors was, well, there isn't enough data in the market for, for me to benchmark anything that you're telling me. So we, we'd build these models. We'd say, okay, we expect our average revenue per user to be X or, you know, the average cost per connection to be Y. And the investors would tell us, you know, there, there's just not enough data out there for us to evaluate whether or not these are reasonable assumptions. So fundamentally, what we thought is, hey, can we standardize the way that these metrics are collected and reported so that we can get that information into the sector and increase investor confidence from the data? So one of our partners on the Odyssey platform is the African Mini Grid Developers Association. Uh, and what's really exciting about the way that we're working with them is we intake data from all of their members who are reporting on all of those metrics that 
investors care about, you know, key cost and sort of financial parameters and scale parameters. And we're standardizing that in, that in the platform and then enabling AMDA through data agreements with their members to publish that into the market. And actually their benchmarking report just came out last week, which is super exciting. And it's the first time the market has had really comprehensive data on various parameters of nearly every mini grid that's, that's operating in Africa. And that type of information that comes from kind of a centralized place and is standardized is going to be absolutely critical for moving the market forward because it gives investors something to benchmark when they're receiving investment materials from new projects. That's great. I think that's a, a really helpful context to think about. And building on from that and some of your comments about the challenge of innovation, what do you see as the next steps and the next goal for Odyssey? What are you building towards and what are your aspirations for the next, say, two to five years? And similarly, what, what are the challenges that you're facing at the moment? Yeah, lots of lots of things kind of <laughs> in our in our plans. So one thing that just to kind of tie what we were just talking about to tie that in, I really believe that there's a ton of opportunity for machine learning. Now that we've kind of completed the loop in terms of the data from project origination through operations. So we're really excited about the possibilities of having enough data in the platform that we can start to train our system to understand, okay, here's what we forecasted about this site. And then here's how this site is operating. Can we get better at improving our models for forecasting and get more accurate about our predictions for a site? And of course, that's going to be most important for facilitating investment into the sector. If we can say, hey, our models are, are getting really good at saying, this is this is how people in this community will use power. This is the size system that we know we need. And so these are the financial returns that we expect from this project. So as we build up more data in the platform, there's a ton of opportunity for machine learning and and that'll be a big thing that we focus on. And then the other thing that we're really focusing on is meeting all of the needs of asset owners in the market. And we say asset owners because it could be investors that are owning a portfolio of microgrids, or it could be actual operators of microgrids that have investors, uh, have special purpose vehicles for their investments and need to report to investors and need to do really good data analytics uh, across lots of different systems. So we see in more developed markets, the need for asset management for investors across the board. I mean, it's a very common technology need. There's a number of software solutions out there. And our goal is to serve that market for the mini grid and, and distributed energy sector in, in sub-Saharan Africa. We've got uh, a number of kind of anchor customers on the platform that are helping us understand what is unique to the mini grid sector and what is required for full investment asset management. And there's lots of new features and functionalities that we'll be building over the next few years to, to continue to meet those needs, especially as more and more of these types of users join our platform and start to scale their investments. And one of the things that you just mentioned that I thought was useful in, in trying to help Medigrid developers actually understand how people will use power is we, we hear a lot about how a lot of Medigrid developers will initially start out by sizing their Medigrids to say, you know, 40 kilowatt hours because they've conducted a survey and people think they will be watching the TV for five hours a day and running the fan, et cetera. But when it comes to actually using it on a longer term basis, there is a lot of interest at the beginning, typically, and people are willing to pay for it. But eventually, some of the cost constraints kick in. And perhaps it's also an issue about the novelty wearing off. Have you seen that reflected in the data that you've been collecting? Or have you had to program that into your models at all to reflect some of the behavioral elements behind the mini grid sizing and the financial opportunity? 
I would say that it, it, it's largely a mix, right? I mean, we, we are seeing a lot of different results from different countries and different types of developers. I mean, I think that it, it is rather idiosyncratic, right? I mean, you have some integrates are more, you know, based in marketplaces and some are based in communities. Some you have developers who are doing demand stimulation interventions. And so therefore, hopefully they're, they're seeing sort of stronger results. And so I think we do see a, a wide gamut in that regard. We're not going to reflect that in our models per se, only because we're going to leave that up to the developer to put in their assumptions about growth over the long term. And then, you know, ultimately when we monitor sites, you know, we can see how the, the reality stacks up against projections. I mean, I think we are doing some interesting work. We're working with the Cross-Boundary Innovation Lab, which is, you know, out there to, to test different strategies in the sector. And they're using Odyssey to test these different interventions where different types of appliances are, are released in communities where there are mini grids. And ultimately, they're using Odyssey to track how these interventions affect demand. And so we're hoping to be part of some of these solutions that help and just trying to really answer some of these these hard questions. Yeah, I mean, if I had a dream, it would be that one day our models are so good that they can say, okay, if X, Y, and Z is true in a community, your demand will be this many kilowatt hours per day, and this is the size system you need. No one's there yet in the sector, but our, our job as a data platform is to enable all the efforts to to crunch the information that will eventually get us there. So as Aton mentioned, this, this work with the Innovation Lab is really exciting because we're processing something like a billion data points for them on consumption and payment data so that they can draw conclusions about what happens when you provide a loan for an appliance to a household or some of the other other things are prototyping. And the goal is that then they can draw conclusions about which business models make the most sense and which variables play the biggest role in improving the unit economics of a mini-grid. And I think also the, the other thing I'd say is that we're, um, Emily mentioned machine learning, but we're also just learning ourselves in that through our software, we've run a few large scale feasibility studies for government entities in different countries in Africa. And that involves taking ground survey data. So asking people, what appliances do you have? You know, how much would you be willing to spend? And then turning that into load projections, right? Projected energy consumption. And so I, I think that we're getting better at, at translating the survey answers into actual projections. You know, certainly machine learning down the line, but also just we're getting better at that. And I think the whole sector is as well. Great. So I, I think that's provided us with a great overview of what Odyssey does and what your product focus is. For you as a company, what is your business model? Are you looking to be a software provider for this platform? Or do you also have goals on the financing side as well? We'd love to hear more about that. Our goal is to be the underlying software and technology for finance institutions. So we don't have plans to be one ourselves, but rather to support any fund or facility that's putting money to work in the distributed energy sector. Originally, we, we had the theory that we could have like a financing marketplace for, for distributed energy projects. And so developers would design a portfolio of projects, standardize it, make it easy to understand, and then publish it and, and raise capital through Odyssey. And I think what we, we realized pretty quickly thereafter is that the market wasn't quite there yet in terms of having enough volume of investors to make that a worthwhile approach. What instead we uncovered after spending some time in the sector is that the market is being driven and, and the capital, the large majority of the capital being invested is still driven by these government and donor programs. And so we shifted a bit instead of an open marketplace, a kind of, a, you know, like Airbnb type thing for mini grids. Instead, it, it's more of a 
we're providing a platform for large financial institutions or governments who are financing these projects to run their funds and their facilities through the portal. So that's on the financing side. And then there's a whole other aspect of the asset management and the asset monitoring once sites are operating, which is sometimes connected, but a different revenue stream and a different business model approach. Yeah. And the asset management piece was really built around the understanding or the realization that every financier's needs are going to be different in terms of the questions that they need to answer for their portfolio and the and the types of data that they need to collect across projects and across different operators. And so what we've really focused on is having a way to standardize the, the data model that's underlying all of the analytics so that we can essentially serve the data up and say, okay, you've got questions that you want answered. We're going to present very complex and high volume data to you in a way that you can actually work with it and get your questions answered. So those questions look very different for a user of our platform like the Rural Electrification Agency or the World Bank who want to know, let's say, how many connections have been electrified or what's the greenhouse gas impact of our financing program versus a commercial investor that might need to know something more like what's the average revenue per user of my investments in this northern region of Tanzania or in compare that to Nigeria or whatever the kind of investment analyses they need to do are. And so I think we're starting to recognize that while the questions are always different, the kind of underlying technology and data needs are the same and we can meet a lot of those needs with our asset management platform. And how have you seen the market evolve in the past few years? I guess it's an incredibly fast-moving market. It seems as though every year there's records being hit with regards to investments or commitments from World Bank and, and so on. Has that impacted your business? And what has been your observations in working in the sector over the last few years? So one of the biggest market developments that's impacted our business and the sector as a whole is the emergence of results-based financing mechanisms to provide subsidy to mini-grids and solar home systems. You know, when I first started working in the sector, everyone was afraid to talk about the fact that many of these projects require subsidy to be economically viable. Even though in developed countries, when we embarked on our, you know, let's say our rural electrification plans here in the U.S., it was all heavily subsidized. That framework has now shifted in the market, and there's a growing acceptance and understanding that subsidies are an inherent part of rural electrification. And if you get them right, and if you make them very systematic, it becomes much easier to get the other types of capital into the market that are required for scale. And so we've, over the past few years, have been working on an initiative that's now being led by the Sustainable Energy for All called the Universal Energy Facility. And the, the principles behind it are, if you have a facility that's very streamlined and has a very clear, systematic, per-connection subsidy for a mini-grid project or for a solar home system project, that's something that commercial investors can then rely on and they can come in alongside that systematic subsidy and provide the commercial capital necessary to get the project off the ground. And this was a, a pretty new and radical concept a few years ago, and now it's one that's being widely accepted across the market. And we're seeing more and more governments and development finance institutions, institutions and donors realize the benefits of a more streamlined RBF. And what's exciting about that for us is our software really helps to speed up the, the process of facilitating this type of funding. Because you can imagine that if you're trying to issue funds on a per-connection basis, that is a lot of data to process, right? You've got like tens of and hundreds of thousands of 
connections being submitted and you've got information about each of those connections that you need to review. You need to be certain that it's a live connection before you disperse funding based on it. And we've really built a lot of technology in our platform to make that process very straightforward, both for the company that's looking for the financing and then also the facility that's running the results-based financing facility. And with the introduction of smart meters into the market, we're able to actually reduce the burden of verifying a live connection. So we can actually plug into a smart meter, run an algorithm on the data that's coming from that smart meter to determine whether or not it's a valid live connection and basically put a stamp of approval on a connection in order for for a financier to feel comfortable paying out that connection on a results-based basis. That's great. So you're also providing the investors and I guess the donors or grant makers perhaps with evidence of the connection actually existing and not just taking the mini grid developers word for it or having to go on the ground and validate that data. What are your general thoughts and perspectives on the importance of results-based financing? It certainly seems to have a lot of strong supporters, I would say, within the energy space and would be really curious to hear what your perspectives on it are. There's two things that I really like about results-based financing. One is that it directly ties capital to results. And so I think it's one of the most efficient ways to put concessionary finance to work. So just to give you an example, we're running a large results-based financing program right now for mini grids and solar home systems in Nigeria. And the the World Bank and its partner, the Nigeria Rural Electrification Agency, they can log into our platform and see directly how many connections their money has gone to fund. And so you can get some really great statistics on whether or not the, the capital that you've allocated for a financing program is going to the intended results. And they can see, you know, how many of the connections are households versus businesses? How many households are the head of the household as a woman? I mean, all, all types of metrics that they care about, they can actually directly tie to their financing, which is something that's pretty hard to do for other types of financing programs. And then the other thing is, I mentioned this earlier, but the other reason why I think results-based financing makes so much sense is that it's very systematic. It's something that a, a company and then its commercial investors can rely on. They can say, okay, if you go execute, you will get this subsidy in the same way that you know other countries had things like feed-in tariffs, whereas it was a form of subsidy that could be built into the financial model so that commercial investors know what their returns will be taking into account the subsidy, which of course improves the unit economics of the project and makes it easier to invest in these projects. Yeah, and I, I would just add that I think to a certain extent, it's an elegantly designed thing because you're allowing the private sector to sort of do its thing to a certain degree without the government deciding from a top-down perspective, what are the best sites, right? You're actually allowing the people who will be owning the assets and managing the assets. If you're building your RBF and sort of this open call model, like in Nigeria, they're the ones who are finding sites and submitting them for, for RBF. And like Emily said, they're only getting grants or concessionary finance once they build the sites. And I think, you know, if you look at the actual results so far in Nigeria, it's very encouraging that these RBF programs are seeing results way faster than than what we've seen in the sector before. And I think that's in large part due to this RBF structure. And the fact that, as you you were mentioning before, through Odyssey, it does allow for running these programs at a much bigger scale. How do you see the market, especially for mini grids evolving? And it would be great to hear your thoughts on this. Certainly, I think the the need for subsidies is really paramount, as you've already mentioned, Emily. And we've heard that from a number of guests as well, because recognizing that subsidies are required to reach in particular last mile customers or particularly remote communities or particularly low income communities as well. How do you see the market evolving? Do you think it will continue to be driven by a mixture of government funding, multi 
multilateral institutional funding, for instance, or impact investors in philanthropy? Have you seen any kind of shifts with regards to the market dynamics? And how do you think it will evolve in the next five to 10 years? I think, and again, sort of going back to Nigeria, because it is sort of the most ambitious program, the World Bank's NEP program, you know, part of their theory was we're going to have these grants, this concessionary finance, and that will bring in private capital because it will lower the risk. And that was the theory. I think there was a real question at the beginning whether or not that would actually happen. And I think what's exciting is that we're actually seeing the activity on our platform now where the local commercial banks are coming in and they're saying, all right, these projects are, are getting built. They're getting financed. The grants are happening. This is sort of working as designed. We're ready to start looking at this in a serious way. Right? We're ready to allocate resources to understand the sector, which is a big step for these banks, which are rather risk averse. And so I do think that this model is, is proving to be effective and that the combination of concessionary finance from multilateral institutions and local commercial capital can be the path forward for the sector. I think the other trend that we are starting to see and we'll see more of over the coming years is availability of project finance. So in the early days of the mini grid sector, the only available finance for mini grid developers was corporate level, basically mostly corporate level equity, right? Like there are impact investment firms that were willing to fund the companies and then they would build projects on their balance sheet. And that's obviously a pretty inefficient way to do project development because then you've got the money tied up in those projects for a long period of time. And I think with cross boundary leading the way and the other investors following suit, we'll see more project finance available, either in the form of project equity or project debt, which will enable much faster development and, and therefore significant scale in project development. Great. So it seems as though you are seeing also the effectiveness of commercial capital being crowded into either grant funding or philanthropic funding as well. So that's great to hear. Perfect. I'd like to hear and discuss the impact of COVID-19. It seems as though certainly from publications and news reports and articles that you've produced, Odyssey has been doing quite a lot of work within the COVID-19 and coronavirus response, and in particular partnerships with Rockefeller Foundation and Shell Foundation in recent months. We'd love to hear more about the work that Odyssey has been doing in the sector and what your focus has been so far. Sure. We have been doing a lot of different things related to COVID-19 and, and thinking about its impact on the African countries where we work. So one thing we've been doing is we've partnered with the Cross Boundary Innovation Lab to analyze the impact of COVID-19 on consumer behavior of mini-grid customers. So we've been publishing a monthly update with CrossBoundary, pulling together all of the data from operating projects on the ground to say, are we seeing things like uh, a drop in consumption or a drop in revenues from mini-grids due to COVID-19? And it's actually been really interesting because we'd expected a, a much more dramatic impact on mini-grid operations than we've seen. It's sort of been a, a bit of a mix, but we're continuing to watch really closely and engage what the data is telling us about how COVID is impacting mini-grid power consumption and, and payments. The other big piece of work that we've embarked on is supporting efforts to electrify health facilities. So I think this is something that has been a topic for a long time, but has certainly been highlighted with the COVID crisis, is that there are many, many rural hospitals and clinics and even peri-urban hospitals and clinics that do not have access to reliable power. And it is impossible to provide high-quality health care if you can't do things like refrigerate medicines or vaccines or run ventilators. 
And so we partnered with the Rockefeller Foundation and the Shell Foundation to provide our software technologies in support of donor programs that are being launched to accelerate electrification of health facilities. And so those resources look like using our data platform to identify and prioritize health facilities that need distributed energy projects deployed on site, and then to manage the kind of rollout of large-scale health electrification programs. And one of the key reasons why we structured our work with the Rockefeller and Shell Foundations in the way that we did is that, you know, in moments of crisis, it's easy to kind of say, okay, we've just got to, you know, deploy lots of energy projects. Um, We need to get them out there quickly and and let's just focus on kind of the emergency response. But these are long-term assets that are going to be operating for a decade. And so, you know, a lot of thought also needs to be put into how do we make sure that these are sustainable projects that even when the COVID crisis is over, these hospitals have access to reliable power and have the right agreements in place for the project operators to continue to maintain and operate the system. And our software enables tracking projects over the lifetime of a project and even plugging into that system and making sure that it's continually providing reliable power over the lifetime of the of the project. And so we We've partnered with a a number of governments and donor institutions, development finance institutions to deploy this technology and give them the resources they need to think about the the long-term sustainability of these health electrification programs that they're initiating. Great. Thank you. And I'd love to discuss more about both of your personal backgrounds and your route to working both in the off-grid space and Emily for you as well and starting Odyssey as a company. So my background is in financing renewable energy. Um, So early in my career, I was working in venture capital, private equity, focused on renewable energy and clean tech. And then after doing uh, a year working at um, mobile payment software focused on emerging markets, um, I did graduate studies and an MBA and a master's of environmental studies. And that's where I really spent time focusing on renewable energy finance. And from there, went to uh, Lumos Global, a solar home system provider with operations in Nigeria and Ivory Coast. And so that was my first experience in, in the off-grid space where I you know, directed business development and I was in charge of our asset financing strategy and how we wanted to go about, you know, much like we were talking before, is turning this from a corporate equity financing to an asset-backed project finance type financing. So I worked there for a few years before very happily joining Odyssey a couple of years ago. Great. And what about you, Emily? And how did you come to start Odyssey? And what was the path for you like? Yeah, so I got into the energy access sector about a decade ago. I had a Fulbright fellowship to study off-grid solar in India. What's pretty amazing is like looking back in, let's say around 2010, the question was, how are companies going to convince rural communities that, you know, small solar lanterns made sense? And if you go into any rural community in India today, it's like a a no-brainer. You see solar lights everywhere. I've seen the, the sector change so dramatically over the past decade. But I definitely never expected to start a company in the space. I I kind of call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. I was never someone that thought I would be an entrepreneur. But Odyssey really came out of my experience. My co-founder and I built a a mini-grid development business that was a subsidiary of a large renewable energy company based in the U.S. Um, And so we were developing projects in in India, in Tanzania, and we saw the market emerging, kind of went through a lot of the challenges of trying to develop and finance mini-grid projects ourselves and felt like there there were some things that that we could build for the sector that would streamline the process quite a bit. And so in some ways, we sort of fell into building Odyssey because we felt like the sector needed it. And then obviously, as the market has kind of changed and matured over the past three and a half years, our product and our business has as well. And I'd love to hear a bit more about, I guess, that process of building the company. 
What were the most difficult things that you had to deal with? What are the biggest challenges for you as you built the company? And were there any significant changes in, in direction or strategy that you had to deploy? Yeah. One of the biggest challenges in the early days of envisioning Odyssey was that we were building a, a solution for the direction that we expected the market to go. Right. So the mini grid market is still nascent. It was quite nascent three and a half, four years ago when we were starting to kind of envision Odyssey. But we knew that it was going to scale and we wanted to be part of the solution that helped it scale. So unlike, let's say, an e-commerce company, right, where it's like, OK, I know that there's a market of consumers out there and I just need to build the right product to sell to them. We are building the product that would allow those customers to be there. And so our platform is intended to catalyze the market rather than serve an existing market. And that's always been the challenge of Odyssey is kind of understanding where the market is going, making sure that we're kind of building at the pace of the market and building what the market needs today, but with an eye towards where we want the market, where we expect the market to be in, in five to 10 years. And as a result, have you had to change strategy? Has maybe the pace of the market hasn't grown quite as quickly as you expected? What were the implications for how you had to go about running and building the business? Yeah, I think, well, as Eitan mentioned, um, you know, our original plan was to develop a pipeline of projects, standardize those, aggregate them into a portfolio and put them into a marketplace where investors could diligence them and, and invest. And the market clearly wasn't ready for that framework yet. And part of that was because the so much of the capital that was being deployed into the market and is in today is continually being deployed into the market is concessionary financing from governments and donors and DFIs. And so I, I wouldn't say it was a pivot, but we certainly launched a new version of our product that was aimed at those type of financiers. And that was really essential for us because it enabled us to to get lots of capital on our platform, lots of projects on our platform, and then start to see projects getting financed and moved. And in terms of scale, I wouldn't say that the market is scaling slower than we expected. I think it's scaling pretty much at the at the pace that we expected. And we've been kind of following that scale. So our newest our newest products are really oriented around companies, either commercial investors or asset owners who are starting to see the type of scale required to have asset managed technologies. And we've launched that product with the leaders in the space. And then we're sort of expecting that we'll start to see more companies that look like those leaders as the market as a whole starts to scale. And so we are very much building what we think the market will need over the next five to 10 years. And so it's fun because it allows us to build according to our vision and our dream of where we want the sector to be. But it's also often a challenge too. One of my mentors said to me that, you know, being early in a market often feels a lot like being wrong. And I think that that's something that we think about a lot, like how confident are we that, that we're building what the market needs? How confident are we that the market is going to go in the direction that we expect that we will start seeing solar mini grids be the primary way that unelectrified communities are electrified over the coming years. You have to have a lot of optimism to work in the sector and, and a lot of faith that the sector is going to go in the way that we want it to go. I think from the flip side is it is also there's level of excitement there, right? Because we, as only saying, A, we have the ability to kind of co-develop our product along with the market. And, and two, it, you know, it kind of forces us to be flexible and listen to the market a lot because you know, we have our ideas and we consider ourselves a leader in the sector and we have opinions on where things should go, but we also have to do a lot of listening. And so I think that lets us be part of the conversations with we're reflecting in our software where we're sort of the go-between between different stakeholders. Yeah, I think that like early days of the Nigeria electrification project is a, a good case study of this because it's not like they necessarily knew at the outset of this project that they needed software to manage NEP. Like now it seems very obvious that if you're managing a project of that scale, you would need technologies to help you streamline it. 
But the origins of us getting involved in NEP is that I was presenting at a small workshop, and this was back in the days when we were still had this kind of more marketplace concept to Odyssey. And one of the World Bank folks who was working on NEP saw what we'd built and said, oh my gosh, this is exactly what we need for Nigeria. We're about to launch the largest rural electrification program in history. There's going to be so many dimensions to it, so much data. We need something to manage that all. And, and nothing really existed, right? Um, and so we were able to kind of repurpose and adapt and customize and build our platform in lockstep with NEP as it was launching so that, you know, by the time that it got off the ground, we had the right solution in place to support that project. And, and then obviously our goal is that we're going to see lots more of these really large scale financing projects come online in the next few years. But it's definitely been a very iterative process. It wasn't totally clear exactly what the market was going to need. And we started building and we kept building and we kept building until I, th- I feel like we're in a really good spot and have built what the market needs where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. And so my my day job is a VC and I work in the energy space as well. And I think that is exactly one of the challenges that we think about. Are we right to make that investment and that bet on the company? Or are we either just too early or totally wrong? And that's not what the customer wants as well. And I guess related to that, if I understand correctly, I think Odyssey is at least partially VC backed. Would love to hear about your fundraising process. Have you had it be a challenge to bring investors on for other people to see the vision that you have and to get other people and investors excited about your company? Well, we have incredible funding partners. We're very lucky for that. So Odyssey was sort of co-built with Factory Ventures, which is a, a venture firm that's based in here in Colorado. And it's actually the reason why Odyssey is also in Colorado. I was an entrepreneur in residence with Factory for about four to five months as we were coming up with the concept of Odyssey and thinking really hard about, you know, what we thought the sector needed to scale. And then once we'd gotten it to a place where we'd workshopped it enough with key financiers in the sector, key stakeholders in the sector, we spun it out into its own business and then took it from there. So Factory is both a kind of co-founder and our and our seed investor. And then since then, our partner has been the Shell Foundation, who supports for-profit or commercial companies in hard markets like the energy access market. And they've just been an incredible partner to us because they very much see the market in the same way that we do, understand its challenges, but also understand kind of the enormous opportunities there are to build technologies and products to help it scale. That's great. And we've spoken a bit about Nigeria already, but I'm curious to hear which projects have you most enjoyed working on? Which countries are you the most excited about for the growth of either the mini-grid or the off-grid energy solutions in the future? We obviously love working in Nigeria. We have a great partnership with the Nigeria Rural Electrification Agency. They're doing incredible, incredible things. And they're just a, like a very smart, motivated group of people that have had a vision that we've gotten to help carry forward from the very early days to operations, which is where we are now. That said, if you'd asked me a year ago, I probably would have been hard pressed to name other countries that I thought would follow suit. And I would say even in the past year, we've seen so many other countries start to plan really ambitious programs for solar mini grids and solar homes systems. I mean, we're seeing activity in many West African countries, in Southern African countries like Zambia. The the DRC is starting to see quite a lot of mini-grid development and mini-grid planning. And so it really does sort of feel like the time that Nigeria led the way, but a lot of other countries are starting to plan for large-scale programs that will meet the rural electrification needs through mini-grids and distributed energy. Yeah, I, I would say that that's ultimately the, one of the most exciting things about the scale of the Nigeria program is it is really proving to all these other countries that this is is a viable model. And I think that off-grid energy is, is now consistently part of these national electrification plans, 
which I think even when, you know, five years ago when I started in the sector, that was a, a debate, right? Whether or not you, you could even think about mini grids as a viable national strategy. And now that's not the case, right? It's very clear that it is the most efficient way to bring electricity to a large percent of the population. And so that's now, I think, is taken as a given. And then now with the NEP in Nigeria being so successful, you can now say that there is the ability to do it at scale and that hopefully we're moving to a place and we're seeing that where it's not just, you know, a dozen small programs where, you know, this donor is financing four mini grids here and some there. There isn't really a coherent plan. And so I think seeing it done at scale, I think is, is what, you know, we're hoping to see or we're already starting to see, but I think we'll really see in the next three to five years. Great. And how have you thought about your team? You're headquartered in Colorado in the US, but obviously service countries all around the world, primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, but also other areas as well. How have you thought about your team and how have you structured your team to support your customers in the best way possible? We've been really conscious about building a quite diverse team. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's certainly a challenge starting a company based in Colorado that's focused on sub-Saharan Africa. And over the years, as we've built out Odyssey, we've really focused on how we can bring different skill sets and then also different experiences to our team. So to give you an example, our vice president of engineering, so our teammate who built the whole architecture of our platform, is based here in Boulder with us, but grew up in Tanzania and spent many years of his childhood without access to electricity. And so it's been a really exciting process for us to allow him to kind of go crazy and have great ideas about what product we want to build, but do so in a way that's anchored on the fundamental problem that we're trying to solve. Like he understands it better than anybody, why we're doing this work and why it's so important that our technology plays a role in, in scaling mini grids. And since then, we've actually been working on building our team in Africa as well. So we've got data scientists that are based in Rwanda. We have one of our key business development managers based in Nigeria. And it's been a really fun process learning to work as a team across many different time zones, across different cultures and geographies and skill sets. And, you know, it's something that we're, we're always evolving on and, and improving on. Great. One question I always really like to ask is, where did your company's name come from? And why Odyssey? Ah, yes. So Factory Ventures, as I mentioned, is our, our seed investor. And it was actually Morgan DeFort's idea. He's the head of Factory. And it came from our relationship with Homer, which is a microgrid optimization software. We plug into them where we kind of sit on top of them as a web-based version of Homer. And so we thought it'd be a fun play on words to have Odyssey and Homer. Great. And what advice would you give to someone who is looking to join the energy access sector? I mean, I, I think on advice on, on people looking to get into this sector, certainly anybody's trying to, to start a company in the sector, I think is the, the same advice is true for almost any business, which is knowing your, your end user. I think that probably more so in our sector than many others, there's a lot of assumptions about the end user and people from faraway places who are assuming that, you know, electricity might do this or might do that in, in a rural village. And so I think that having a humility about your assumptions is really important in our sector. You know, folks are often intimidated. I, I talk to a lot of younger folks that are interested in getting into the energy access sector, but it's intimidating because it's, you know, if you live in the U.S., it's a faraway market or, you know, it's a market that's constantly changing and it's hard to map. And I think Aton and I both wrote our graduate school essays on wanting to go work in a startup in the energy access space after graduate school. Uh, and that's obviously what we what we both did. And, you know, if I have any advice, it's just go do it. I mean, I've learned so, so much working in this sector. I don't think I could have learned 
learned as much in any other job that I could have done uh, in my career. And it just comes from, you know, on the ground experience and just trying something that's doing lots of new things. Yeah. And I, I think also the market is so big and I think there is a sense of there are a couple of business models that have been tried and then have been copied a bunch of times. But I, I still feel as though we're sort of very early in the business model innovation in the energy access space. Great. So to close our conversation, I, I always like to ask our guests, what are your predictions for the off-grid solar sector for the next five years? I think over the next five years, we're, we're going to see a lot more scale. We're going to see a lot more capital deployed. I think it still will be led, even in five years' time, I think it still will be led by some of these uh, multilateral and government programs, although with more and more commercial capital coming in. And, and I think there will be more business model innovation in the sense that we're already starting to see disaggregation between the developer of the mini grid. It doesn't have to be the same company that's doing the O&M. Um, that might not be the same as doing sort of the customer management. And so I think perhaps the disintegration of that whole business where you could have companies who specialize in certain aspects of distributed energy could be interesting. And then I think also related to that, there's probably a lot of blending the lines between solar home systems, commercial and industrial projects, and mini grids, which are frequently treated as like three different buckets. And I think that there probably will be more and more companies who are blurring those lines. And, and I guess to that last point, which is something I've heard from a number of companies as well, and I find really interesting, do you think it will be that the companies working on these projects will start to provide different product offerings because they need to diversify their customer base or products that they're offering? Or do you think it comes more from the side of you're building various types of infrastructure and at some point you want some kind of interconnection and integration between those different units? I think it's actually more that getting a sense of like what your core skill set is and that it may be that if, if it is in selling electricity and managing a customer relationship, then it may not make a big difference to the infrastructure behind it. Or on the flip side, if your specialty is really in raising capital and developing projects, then that those skill sets might apply in, in any event, whether that's a CNI project or a mini grid. And so I think it's a bit tied towards the, the disintegration I was mentioning before, where, you know, if you're taking only a certain phase of the project development lifecycle, then it may not matter what the underlying asset is as much. That makes sense. So you're catering more towards your specific strengths and your skill sets and the technology doesn't matter too much as a result. Yeah, I mean, I think to build on that, and I mentioned this earlier, I think we'll start to see more types of project finance vehicles that look like other sectors and the type of infrastructure financing that has happened in either the other energy sectors or even more broadly, just other infrastructure sectors. Uh, so we'll see the market maturing in the, the type of capital that project developers can access. And then I think we'll, we'll see mini grids in lots more countries. I, as we mentioned earlier, we're just starting to see lots and lots of new countries in the planning process for how they'll scale mini grids. And I'm really excited to see a lot of those programs come to fruition in the next five years. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Emily. And thank you, Eitan, for joining us on Distributing Solar. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And thanks for your time. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. That was our conversation with Emily McAteer and Eitan Hoekster from Odyssey Energy Solutions. If you have any questions or comments, please visit us on our website at www.distributingsolar.com. We have notes from our podcast, useful sources and contact details available. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or a review on your podcast platform. It helps others find this podcast. 
Thanks for listening and join us next time when we speak to Brave Mahoney from Sunny Money and Solar Aid speaking about the solar industry in Malawi.